listening to the Retirement Remix Show with financial advisors and hosts Chip Munn, that's me, and John Tate of Signature Wealth Group. Get ready for a bite-sized dose of timely and actionable financial planning and retirement tips alongside remixed retirement stories from real people just like you. Listen in now to be inspired, find direction, and build your own retirement remix. John Tate, what's up, man? Chip Munn. You know, I don't know. I was on a call with the hospital board the other day talking about COVID and the influx of patients into the hospital. And I think there were very few beds left. I mean, this is not new news, but one of the forecasts that they did give was that based on what they saw last time, they do think that the number of hospitalizations will peak here in the next couple of weeks and then start going back down again, which is good. And then one of the other weird things I heard on the call was that because the emergency rooms are so overflowed with patients right now, they are talking about uh, stupidity of people maybe is, is a good way to put it, but you've got these overloaded emergency rooms and now you've got people coming in. I don't know if you've seen this milk crate challenge. I don't think so. So basically, you know, those old plastic milk crates, people are turning them upside down and then stacking them on top of each other to create a, a pyramid and then walking. So the first step is one milk crate. The second one is two. The third is three, four. And then I think they get to five and then four, three, two, one again. And so the person, they try to make it across without falling. But unfortunately, you get to the fourth or fifth one and you're balancing on these milk crates stacked on top of one another. And the falls, if you look out on TikTok or YouTube or whatever you want to go to, I mean, they're breaking wrists, dislocating shoulders, spinal cord injuries, because a milk crate is a big plastic thing. (laughs) And they're like, please look, we're dying here from the influx of COVID patients. And yet all of you are coming into our emergency rooms with all these injuries that you're inflicting upon yourself. Stop doing it. Yeah. Imagine being (laughs) the person who had to explain your spinal injury as I was trying to climb some milk crates one time for my TikTok video. I think it was Colin Cowherd one time that said, if you're ever thinking about doing something, say it out loud, say it out loud and, and, and see how it sounds in the air. And if it sounds okay, then go ahead. But if I'm that person, I'm saying, I am going to climb a stack of unstable milk crates. You know, first off, John, I'm a big dude, man. Three sets of milk crates aren't going to hold me up. That's, that's not happening. And so they don't make cows big enough to make milk big enough for a crate for me to climb up on. But I mean, just say it out loud. It's pretty crazy. It's a wonder that people live as long as they do sometimes. Amen to that. You know, one of the stats we were looking at today in preparation for the show is that not only are we living longer than ever, but if you look at it, men versus women, on average, someone 65 years old today can expect to live to 84 for men and 87 for women. And I have seen both men and women do the milk crate challenge, but mostly it's men. I mean, are we really surprised that women live longer than men? Is that any surprise to you at all whatsoever? No, no, (laughs) not at all. And, And I'm sure that there are lots of other reasons why that's the case, but yeah, there's a reason why you need your mom. And then typically married men live longer than single men. I don't know what the percentages are or the years, but that's a thing. And it's probably, at least in the cases of most of the men that I know, it's because our mom and then our wife kept us from killing ourselves, doing something stupid. So, but it is, it's one of those things, John, where, as we're talking about, you know, our subject for the last couple of weeks has been long-term care. 
when you look at why and what long-term care costs, a big factor is less about how likely you are to die, but much more about how likely you are, if you were to get sick especially, to live for a long time, because that's what you're insuring against. And so those life expectancies are important. They are. And you never like to put it like this, but in a lot of these cases where something lingers for years and years, we always think the worst thing that could possibly happen is death. But sometimes that's not the case. I mean, death can sometimes be quick and painless. And then it's over. A lot of these things that we go through health-wise can linger on for years and years and years. And that's the part that we end up needing care for, not necessarily the effect of death itself. So when you're thinking about the care needs that you might encounter over your lifetime, over those 84, 87 years that you might be on this earth on average, you're going to need some help. You're going to need people to help care for you, take care of you at different stages of your life. And everybody has their role to play, I guess, is one way to put it. But some of those roles that you can set up ahead of time, it's important to do it before you might need care or before someone else may be expected to step in. But some of those roles to consider power of attorney, the durable power of attorney, there's the healthcare power of attorney, somebody to make health decisions for you. And in some cases, not many, but in some cases, there can also be the guardianship, you know, a legal guardian that takes care of every aspect of life from financial to care. And sitting down and talking about what these roles might look like, who might step in and act in these roles and why they may or may not be a good choice are all conversations to have. And I think in the last call, Chip, you talked about how your mom wouldn't necessarily want you to be a nurse. You know, that's not the role that you would want to play or that she would want you to play. But it's all part of that conversation. If you're not talking about it, you don't know. And so what kind of conversations do you have with clients when it comes to these types of roles that people may need help with in their lives? Well, I think that for a lot of folks, it starts with the family and wanting to make sure that, again, my brother is a detail-oriented person. He's a college professor. When it came time to dealing with paperwork and some of those kinds of things, I think that people know their kids or they know their siblings and they have a pretty good feel for who most of the time they trust. One of the big things that I recommend is it's not that you don't know. Of course, once you get these documents in place, it's also let these people know and have a conversation with the family member or friend or partner or whatever so that they can be aware and kind of accepting of the responsibility of some of these things, whether it's, again, power of attorney, healthcare surrogate. You know, the legal guardians, it's a completely different animal for me because that's usually the idea of the legal guardian is, in a lot of cases, not necessarily something that either party wants. I mean, we talked about independence and us wanting to have agency over our lives. And a lot of times, getting to the point where you're dealing with kind of guardianship issues the patient doesn't want it. And really, most of the time, the family member doesn't want it either. And so those things can get sticky. But one of the things that I've said a lot is for folks who are listening, it'll hopefully be the first and last or one of a very few times 
that you've been through this. It's not our first time. We go through it with multiple families a year. And so as it comes down to having some of these difficult conversations, sometimes it's helpful, John, just to have a professional in the room. But on top of that, we can help people when it comes time for paying for care. So when we look at that, John, what are some of the options that you look at or that you talk to people about when it comes to actually paying for the care? The two that you would think off right off when you think about paying something is you ask yourself, can I pay for this myself without help? Can I self-insure? Do I have enough assets to do it that way? Or do I need to go and bring in assets from an outside source? And so that's usually where the conversation starts. Do I self-insure? Yes or no. And in some cases, you can insure part of the cost, but not necessarily all of the cost. And so for the part that you can't or don't have the ability to insure yourself, the next direction you go is you look at your family members. Are they going to be able to help me and give me some aid, not necessarily without cost, but with a lower cost than hiring somebody outside the family to do it. So you start with self-insurance, you kind of go to your family members, your loved ones, and see if they can provide some care, some bridge between what you need today and what you might need in the future. And those are the two quick questions you can ask from the beginning. And then after that, we get into some of the more serious kind of outside sources. And the first one of those being Medicaid. And we all know Medicaid is the state-based system. It's need-based. There are limits to what it can provide and will provide based on both your income and the assets that you have saved up. Each state might be a little bit different. Most of them have some of the same laws, but it is difficult to generalize Medicaid. And it is more of a specific case-by-case study that we go through with our clients. And so it's very important to talk to your advisor so that you can sit down, go over the situation and figure out what are the steps you need to take to qualify or what do you need to do to enter that realm of Medicaid? Do you have those talks on a regular basis with your clients, Chip? We do. I think the biggest questions that I've gotten over the years is, well, uh, is there a way that I can plan around so that Medicaid will pay for my care so that I can get assets out of my name because, you know, for Medicaid to pay, it's because you can. And are there ways that you could accomplish that with a lot of planning? Yes. The question I typically ask is, if you have options, you know, are the places that accept Medicaid patients the places that you would want to live? And in a lot of cases, the answer is no. It's not your first choice. And so I think that Again, it is one of those things when we talk about lifestyle and things like that, that Medicaid is an option for those who need it. I don't know that it's necessarily for a lot of people, maybe the idea of leaving behind assets to a family member, and that's what you're trying to protect. There may just be better ways to accomplish that. So I think that's a big part of it. That's what Medicaid does. Medicare, though, it'll pay for some of the healthcare costs or procedures and things like that, but it doesn't pay for the care itself. So that makes a big difference. And so the opposite side of that, John, of spending down your assets or giving them away or trying to do that so that you can qualify via Medicaid, the other way to do it is to look at transferring the risk 
of a long-term care stay to somebody other than yourself. And the way that we do that is via some function of insurance. And there are a lot of kinds of insurance. I think that long-term care, the idea of it for a lot of folks, we've had to do a lot of education over the last few years because people have a bad taste in their mouth from the traditional long-term care. I remember my granddad, my papa, I think I talked about him in the last show, but he bought long-term care young and paid what was maybe a couple grand a year for he and my grandmother till three years or so before he needed it and then died. But he decided that he was tired of paying for it. He just wanted to die at home anyway. And so he had paid for 20 years of these premiums. And I think that when you think about long-term care, if that's what you think of, then you don't really like that as an option because the idea of paying for the rest of your life until you need it isn't always very attractive. But that's also a really old way of doing things, right? So there are other options in terms, John, of paying for long-term care. And again, I look at it as outsourcing the risk to somebody else. What are some of the other options that you've seen? Like you said, the bad taste in people's mouths. And, you know, you think about traditional long-term care and you think about it's a use it or lose it situation. You know, you might pay for it for a long time. And if you don't use it before you pass away, then it's gone unless it's some sort of shared care policy that might pick up coverage for a spouse or something like that afterwards. But most of the time it's use it or lose it. And so that is the part that if you're going to pay for something over an extended period of time, 10 years or more, and you're going to put your own money into it, you'd like to think that no matter what, you're going to get something back in return. It's not just going to be lost money that's picked up by an insurance company and then used in someone else's policy. So what the insurance industry did was they looked at what people liked and didn't like about traditional long-term care, and they came up with some different options. So one of the other options we have these days is called a hybrid policy. And what it is, is it's a life insurance policy with an accelerated death benefit rider that will allow you to pull forward the death benefit and use it while you're alive as long as you qualify for long-term care. And two episodes ago, when we talked about the activities of daily living, usually that trigger, it can be cognitive, it could be something to do with dementia, but it is also mostly if you cannot do two of the six activities of daily living on your own or without assistance, that is usually a trigger that you require care of some kind in order to maintain and keep your quality of life the same. And at that point, the policy, you would fill out the paperwork. There's still a 90-day, what the industry calls an elimination period, where you're going to receive care and pay for it out of pocket for a period of 90 days. And then if you still need care after that 90 days, then the insurance policy will start to pay. And there's a couple of different ways that they can pay. And it differs by company. It also differs by age and The two ways that they would repay are indemnity, it's either an indemnity policy or a reimbursement policy. And I know which one I prefer, Chip, but do you have a preference on uh, indemnity or reimbursement when you're talking about these types of policies with your clients? When it comes to what folks ultimately want to buy, what you can afford has to be part of the discussion. But if cost is no issue, I certainly would prefer reimbursement. 
the whole point is I know that if a cost comes up, it's going to get paid. And so if costs were no object, John, that'd be my preference. There's that. And then, you know, there's also the other way that folks will look at it too. So I don't know that there's necessarily one that's better than another for everyone. And like you said, it's going to be client by client and what they can pay for. But the indemnity part, if you are going to receive an indemnity policy, then it's basically they say, we're going to send you X amount of dollars every month, no matter what. And if you come up with an option that's less expensive, then you have some extra money potentially to spend on something else that might maintain your quality of life. We don't care how you spend it. Here's how much you get. And like you said, if the costs are more than that, then you're self-paying for the rest of it. But the indemnity can provide some flexibility there depending on how much you need. And then, of course, with indemnity and reimbursement, with reimbursement, you're providing receipts for something that you've paid for, and then the company sends you money and indemnity again. It's just a set amount every month. So there's no receipt necessary with that. But those are typically the two types of payments you'll receive from an insurance company. So it is important when you're looking at the different options to figure out which one of those might fit your scenario the best, and then go through and figure out which carrier will provide. So these policies, what makes it a little bit different than long-term care is because these hybrids are life insurance related, then you are going to go through a lot of the questionnaires, sometimes the medical questions that all go with life insurance, because they're not only looking at you from a long-term care risk standpoint, but they're also looking at you from a death risk standpoint. And so those two things coming together They can sometimes add some more complications to the process, but ultimately it's something that you get paid out either way, whether you need long-term care or unfortunately death, then you get something back. The ages that you can apply for these policies, these hybrid policies are also different than traditional long-term care. And with the indemnity policies, usually you can't apply for them after age 75. And with reimbursement policies, they typically cut you off at age 80. And so this is something that while you said your dad bought his traditional policy very early on, Chip, and paid for it over a series of years, you can sometimes wait longer with these life insurance hybrid policies, but there is still a cutoff and it is still something that it pays to plan ahead versus waiting. And I know that's something that you talk to your clients about a lot, Chip. Well, sure. I mean, when you can buy some of these things younger, And if you're healthier, you know, they're going to be cheaper, at least initially. So one of the things, John, as I was thinking back about the question about indemnity versus reimbursement, one of the things that you have a lot is choice and flexibility. So how you buy these policies, the benefit is a function of what you're willing to pay. And so there are a lot of ways to use these policies and your other availability of funds. You know, so when I said I would rather know that it's going to get paid, you do to your point, you have to be able to pay it and get reimbursed. So if you don't have capital available to be able to pay it and then wait 30 days or whatever to get reimbursed, that's not going to be something of interest to you. And so it's really a thing that when we look at some of the other stuff, the more you're willing to pay, the larger the benefit is, and so it really gets into a situation where you're best tailoring a solution to you because you have lots of options that we haven't gotten into, you know, cost of living adjustments and 
all those kinds of things. But a third way even to pay for it. So we talked about the traditional way. We talked about the hybrid way with life insurance, with long-term care coverage. There are also tons of other available options like utilizing annuities with living benefit riders that have an enhancement for long-term care. Or a lot of annuity companies these days have a single premium that you can pay and you can either use it for long-term care or death. It's not the same as the hybrid life insurance policy. It's an annuity policy with a long-term care benefit. And some of those, John, if you put a single premium in, you can turn around and take all the money back out if you decide you don't want it. And so these days there are tons of options. And I think that for the listener, the important thing to know is that the probability is, statistically speaking, if you are in a couple, when you hit age 65, the likelihood is that you will need some form of long-term care. The question becomes, how are you going to pay for it out of your pocket? I look, John, at insurance options often as being able to pay in advance, but pay pennies on the dollar because you can look at what it's going to cost you relative to what the benefits are. And usually they're a fraction dependent on factors and pricing and those kinds of things. So it really gets down to who's going to cover the costs and how you want to do it. But I think for me, John, kind of the golden thread from today is if you've gone through the process of understanding, you know, from a couple episodes ago, what it would take to qualify, you look at all the different options in terms of delivering care that we talked about last time, understand that there were equally as many options to pay for it. Right. And like you said, tailoring it to each specific client situation is the way to go. And it's not, again, it's not one size fits all kind of Google it and then find your answer and do it on your own. It definitely pays to sit down and look at all the different aspects of how it ties in with the rest of your financial assets and the overall plan for your life. Because it's not all about care at the end. It's how you get to that point and pay for it all. So it all goes together. And I will say with these long-term care options, the ones that clients seem to gravitate towards, in my instance anyway, are the ones where you can pay in a set amount of times and then you're done, whether it's a one pay or a five pay or a 10 pay. And some of the traditional long-term care policies have the ability to have a 10 pay as well as the hybrid policies. And even like you said, the annuities, if you have an annuity, an existing annuity, a non-qualified annuity out there today that you are not using for anything, you can transfer that annuity into one that will pay for long-term care. And if you use the money for long-term care, then the money that comes out of the annuity is not taxed at all. And so you can sometimes improve your tax situation and improve your ability to handle whatever life throws at you simply by making some of these choices earlier rather than later. And so you can only do that by starting with the conversation. And so talk to us, talk to Chip, talk to me, talk to any of our signature advisors for help. We are all together experts on answering these kinds of questions. And that's what we're here for. So do it, use it. Again, kind of wrapping up, if you have an insurance policy or an annuity that you've owned for a long time, chances are it's worth taking a look at. I view it a lot like furniture. Maybe you bought something to fit a certain place or a certain time in your life, if we're talking about the insurance or the annuity, and your life has changed since then. 
and you keep making the premium payments. And ultimately, all you really want to do, I got no issue with insurance. I'm a big fan of insurance, but I'm a big fan of insuring against the risk that you're actually worried about. For a lot of people, they have long-term care or they have life insurance, but they also have money. So the life insurance, the, the leaving a legacy to the heirs is not necessarily nearly the risk. I talked with a friend and a business owner last night who had a family member in a parent in a long-term care facility for 13 years. That's statistically not typical, but it can be a big thing. And if you had long-term care insurance, it would be a big help in that situation. Life insurance, not so much. And so if you have an insurance policy, whether it's life or long-term care, I encourage you to evaluate it with your advisor or, as John said, reach out to any of us at Signature Wealth. We're here to help. Lots of options. You just want to make sure that what you're paying for is what ultimately you want and need, and we can help you research your options and come up with a plan that fits your goals and your strategy. John, any parting words? If you need my permission, Chip, you can take the rest of the day off. I don't think you could have said it better than that. Well, you know what? Your mouth to God's ears, my friend. <laughs> I, I think that I'm going to talk to my boss and take you up on that. <laughs> I appreciate it. John, I enjoyed it. See you again next week. Yes, sir. There we have it. Another great episode. If you'd like to continue the conversation, here are four ways that we can help. First, complete the Retirement Success Scorecard to discover whether or not you're on track to a successful retirement on your terms. You can find this at signaturewealth.com scorecard. Second, get a complimentary copy of my book, The Retirement Remix. Whether you're interested in real-life retirement stories and inspiration from others like you, or you want to learn more about Medicare and Social Security, it's all in there. Go to theretirementremix.com to grab your copy. Third, listen in on bi-weekly office hours with our team. We host live virtual office hours to share new investment and planning information and answer your money, markets, and retirement questions. Find the details to join us at signaturewealth.com slash office hours. And fourth, schedule a complimentary strategy call with one of our advisors to make sure you're on track toward your ideal retirement. Go to SignatureWealth.com and select the Signature Wealth office closest to you. We'll be back here next week for more on the Retirement Remix. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.